We're glad you're here. And I want to welcome all of our locations, Westerville, Short, North, Hilliard, glad you're here. Every guest walking through our doors for the first time, it is truly an honor to serve you. And a special welcome to the men and women joining us at two correctional facilities right now. Come on, church, put your hands together. Glad you're here. And then uh, also just a big thank you to the many who stepped up to serve last week. You texted out Laster to 88202. And by doing so, you said, hey, count me in to serve the next generation. And there were 200 of you who said yes last week. So come on, let's make some noise for all of those who stepped up to serve. And uh, I know I said I wanted there to be more than 300 of you, so we're still waiting on 100 of you. But I don't think it's a bad weekend when you add 200 people to teams, especially teams that are serving the next generation one weekend. So one more time, come on, can we honor Jesus today? What an incredible response. Thank you. Thank you for choosing to serve. And, and the next generation means any, anybody from, from infants and toddlers through walkers and all of those awkward stages. And then middle school where it really starts to get awkward. And then high school where it really starts to get awkward. And college and everybody in the next generation. We, we believe it's not really truly the next generation. They are the now generation. And we have a, we have a call on this church to reach the next generation, to engage the next, the now generation. And I, I get excited about what God is doing in this generation. Anybody get excited about what God is doing in this generation? Just, just to see his hand on, to see his hand on this generation. We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. And if you want to go ahead and, and, and find the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6, we're going to read from that chapter today in just a moment, but the, the, this entire series, Outlasters, is, is really about one thought, and that thought is that if we're not intentional as Christians, as moms and dads, and not just physical moms and dads, but spiritual moms and dads, we need some spiritual parents in the church. We need some spiritual brothers and sisters. We need some spiritual mentors in the church. God has given you something to invest in the next generation, and if we're not intentional, what we live for today will die with us tomorrow. And that's just not the, the most exciting thing to, to hear today, but it's, it's the reality that if we're not careful, if we're not intentional with, with not just what we're investing, but where we're investing and, and, and to whom we're investing into, listen, if we're not careful, the, the faith that we're living with today, it will die tomorrow with us. And I, I don't want, I don't want to, listen, I, I don't want my faith to die with me. I, I don't want... I don't want what I'm living for today to die with me. I, I want to build a church and be a part of building a church that outlives, outlasts me and you. Come on, somebody. I want to live an outlaster kind of life. I want to live a faith that outlives, outlasts me. I want to make an investment in the kingdom of heaven that, that yields dividends long after I'm dead and gone. I want to see the next generation run faster and farther than we've run. I want to see the next generation as leaders in the church do more than we've ever done. I want them to see greater miracles than we've ever seen. Come on, somebody. I, 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 want, I want them to reach more people than we've reached, to feed more people than we've fed. I want them to live with faith on fire. And if we're not careful, we can, we can run the race that we've been called to run and then hide the spiritual baton on the next generation. And they won't know what they're running for, who they're running for. We talked about week one, the challenge of the, the generational cycle and how 
how hard it is to pass anything of value down from the first generation all the way down to the third generation, be it values or faith or even small businesses. Harvard Business Review did a study and found that only about 10% of family businesses will be successfully passed down from the first to the second and then to the third generation. It's been said that the first generation builds it, the second generation runs it, the third generation ruins it. And uh, again, that doesn't sound very exciting to me. I, I don't want my kids to grow up with the second generation faith where their only faith stories are, are my faith stories. There are faith stories. I believe we can live not only ourselves first generation faith, but I believe we can raise up a generation that they themselves will live with first generation faith where they have their own faith stories to tell, their own personal encounters with God to lean on, to talk about, to get excited about, to rely on. They, they've slayed their own giants, come on somebody, because of the spirit of God that is alive and at work within them. And they're not just telling our stories. They're not just living a hand-me-down faith. They're living their own faith. And so we talked about in week one, not only the challenge of the, the sort of the, the generational cycle, but, but our responsibility to live first-generation faith and to pass on first-generation faith. And then last week, we too, we talked about how we as a church and as parents were, were called not just to pay attention to our kids, but to be mindful as to what our children are being exposed to. And how it is our responsibility as moms and dads, as leaders in the church, to, to not just pay attention to what our kids to, are exposed to, but to manage their exposure the best that we can. And I'm not talking about building a, a, a bubble around them where they never get to see and experience the world. But, but I'm saying that, that we would be intentional to minimize as much of the negative exposure as we can for them and maximize some of the positive exposure. Where they're exposed to the love of God where they're exposed to the power and the presence of God within the church, where they're exposed to the joy of, 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 of living their life for him and realizing that God's given them gifts now to use now to impact their generation today. And we're not waiting for them to grow up. We're helping them now to grow up and to be the men and women that God has called them, created them to be. The verse we opened this series with, we're actually going to end with it today, but, but, but it, it goes like, like this, that, that they who are fearful of the Lord, those who fear the Lord and do what is right, will be joyful because their children will be successful everywhere. It's like we can gain the world but lose our souls, but I think even worse than that would be for us to, to gain the world but for our children to lose theirs. Like what point is it? to be successful this side of heaven if my kids will not be in heaven with me? What point is it to be, to be successful, to win whatever race we've been called to win, but uh, to run the race we've been called to run, but to, 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 to leave out the children that we've been called to lead? If we're not careful, what we live for today will die with us tomorrow. So today I want to talk about what can we give the next generation that will propel them forward. I want to share with you three things that I believe we give the next generation at times because we love them, we love our kids, we, we want to see them, you know, ahead in life, and, and we, we want to bless them. And, and I believe sometimes in our attempt to bless them, we actually hurt them, harm them, because at times I think we give our children the wrong things. And then I want to share with you three of the right things that I believe when we give the next generation, three things we can give our children that when we give it to them, it actually sets them actually forward spiritually 
and in life and as it relates to their God-given calling and purpose. But, but the first thing I want to say is this. When, when giving hurts, number one, when we give our children praise that they did not deserve. When we give them praise they don't deserve. Now, I'm a dad. I know this is hard. I don't know where the line is. I don't know when, when we cross the line where, where it's like a little praise is good, but then to over praise, we start to create like entitled kids and, and, and kids that think that they live for praise. I don't know where the line is. We're trying to figure this thing out as parents. But I know that there's somewhere a line, and when we cross it, we end up doing more harm than good. Now, as a dad, I, I, I know at, at Easter time, I, I brought out these big boxes that said Chad's box of memories. Y'all remember that? Like, it's a, I told you then those were my most prized possessions because they're like my trophies and things from, from, from growing up that I've held on to. But truly, those aren't my most prized possessions. My most prized possessions, I wouldn't even take them out of the house and bring them here because I wouldn't want anything to happen to them. There, there are two boxes in my closet. One has the name Macy on it. The other has the name Morgan on it. Those are my two girls' names. And the reason they have a box with their name on it is because as they've grown, uh, I've, I've collected things that they've given me. Like I've got full sets of teeth. I've got, I've got lockets of hair. Like if anything ever happens to my kids, I can recreate them because I've got so much DNA in those boxes. Don't worry about it. Technology will catch up to my plans. <laughs> but I've also got things that, like, you know, cars that they made me. And, and uh, listen, I, I'm just here to tell you that, that I've, I've received some gifts from my girls as they've grown up. And as a parent, you know, you get something. They, they, painting was involved, but you don't know what they painted. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like it's not going to win any painting award. It's not going to win any accolades from anybody. But, but when they gave it to me, even though I couldn't tell what they painted, y'all know as a dad, I told them they were the best painters on the planet. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, baby girl, you can't, nobody could have outpainted you with this one. I don't know what it is, but it's perfect. Got some Father's Day cards, some birthday cards. I promise you Hallmark isn't picking up any of them. Like nobody would pay money for these. I'm telling you, but they're my most prized possessions. And when I received them, I praise my kids for making them. I, I love my daughters. I love when they love me back, and I love when they give me things. But, but here's, here's the challenge. When do we cross the line? When does our praise become overpraise? And they end up making a fool of themselves on national television because they went ahead and auditioned for America's Got Talent. But, but we've, we've known for years you ain't got no talent. You know what I'm saying? Like... You're up there singing your heart out because daddy told you you could sing your whole life and now you're finding out with those three big red X's, you actually can't sing. In reality, it's caught up to you and you're realizing your daddy done lied to you your whole life and now you're wondering what else did daddy lie to me about? You're up there dancing your heart out and can't dance. I don't care who told you you can dance. You can't dance and you're finding out. Like reality's caught up to you and you start to think, listen, I, I think sometimes we can lie to our kids wrongly, like, like with, with good intention, but, but when we overpraise them, listen, sometimes I think we're helping to craft a reality that doesn't actually exist. We, we can give them a false sense of reality and someday that can catch up with us. If we're not careful when... When we overpraise our kids, we can train up some kids that think that everything they do, they do for praise. They, they, they think life is all about performing for the praise of others. See, I don't want to raise up a generation that thinks everything they do, they do it for praise. I want to raise up a generation that, that says everything we do, we do for the praise and honor and glory of the God who gave us every good thing and every talent. Come on. 
I want to I raise up a generation that knows what we do, we do for him. I don't do it for the applause of men. I don't do it for the praise of friends. I do it for the honor and glory of Jesus. I don't know where the line is. I'm just, I'm just saying we got to figure this out. My daughter, just a few weeks ago, she's playing volleyball. She lost a game. She said, Daddy, I don't even know how to lose. Like, I'm not used to losing. I'm like, you're right. Because you, you've been on teams up to this point. Now you're 12, but you've been on teams that even when you've lost games, your coach is like, congratulations, you won. Because nobody was keeping score, but your daddy was keeping score. <laughs> She's like, Daddy, I don't, I don't even know how to deal with this losing thing. I said, I'm so glad you lost today, honey. Because you got to figure that out. Like, you didn't play hard enough. Your team wasn't better than the other team. I'm glad you lost because that's a great experience because now you're going to be better and stronger and more prepared for life because you realized, hey, today I lost. Tomorrow I don't want to. So what are you going to do? You're going to figure out how to not lose. Sometimes I think we, we hurt our kids when we give them things they did not earn. And I'm guilty of this. Like, I'm telling you, my wife and I, we're, we're, we're talking about this because it's like I feel like up to this point, really what we've been doing is we've been giving our kids everything they want right when they want it. Like I was walking through Best Buy with my daughter this week. She's nine going on ten. And I couldn't believe how many gadgets from Best Buy she wanted right then. Like, Daddy, I want those walkie-talkies. Daddy, I want that camera. Daddy, we need this TV. I'm like, I'm not giving it any of it to her. I'm not buying any of it for her birthday. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for an opportunity. I said, how about we start to save for something? How about maybe we, we can come up with a plan? Maybe you can work for some of this stuff. I, I don't know where the line is. I just know sometimes we give our kids exactly what they want when they want it. And they listen, we can end up raising children that think that the world is owed to them and the world doesn't owe us anything. They don't owe you anything. Nobody owes you anything. I want to teach our children the value of hard work, the value of, of saving and, and being intentional with what we're giving them so we don't end up raising some entitled kids, an entitled generation, because that's what we've been called, the entitled generation. I think we need to start to figure out how to, how to curve that and, and bring it back to reality. Number three, I think we give them freedoms they can't handle. And this one's really big, especially in this, this culture today. I'm going to talk about some things today. Men, it's going to make you uncomfortable. I'm talking to everybody, but men, I hope I make you uncomfortable today. When we give our children freedoms they can't handle, how about when we give ourselves freedoms we can't handle? Like, I'm 38 years old. I'm a man. I can't handle unrestricted unfiltered access to the internet 24-7. I'm just, I'm just here to tell you, I don't want to handle that. I don't need to handle that. And the guardrails I've set in place around my digital life, it doesn't make me less of a man than any of you. It makes me more of a man than most of you. Come on, somebody. Oh, I know, you, you wanna punch me right now. That's okay, let me, let me just talk about this. Listen, we gotta protect our eyes. We, we've gotta protect our hearts and sometimes we're giving our kids things oftentimes I believe we're giving our children freedom they can't handle we, we've got eight nine ten year old boys that can go into a room and shut the door and play video games mom and dad have no idea what's in that video game got 14 year old girls and 12 year old girls with iPhones and I'm not saying you're wrong for giving them an iPhone but if it's on if it doesn't have any filter on it if you've not found out how to set some restrictions for that I, I'm telling you that's not wise parenting when we give them freedom, they can't handle. Let's talk about technology for a moment because, listen, this isn't just about our kids. It's about, it's about us. 
It's about being pure. It's about protecting our minds, our hearts, our relationships. And, and uh, I, I want to offer you something. And, and listen, I don't work for this company. And I didn't even tell them I was going to do this. I should have be, because, like, I'm talking to thousands and thousands of people today. And all the people that are going to pay for this, like, they should have given me a kickback. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> or let our staff have this for free. But that's not how it worked. I didn't think about it in time. And they probably wouldn't do it anyway. But it's called Covenant Eyes. And I, I want to I give you this, this, this tool and th- just to be real practical today because I don't want to talk about accountability and software if I'm not going to say, hey, here's what I use, here's what our staff uses, here's what we have in our home, and here's how it works. So I want you to write this down. And, again, it's not just for your kids. It's for you. It's for your marriage. It's, it's for your spouse. It's for everybody. But uh, th- this, is, this is what we do. So Covenant Eyes, it's a software. I, I believe a family plan is like $15 a month for the whole family, unlimited number of devices. So if you have like 18 kids and 800 devices in your home, one family plan will cover all of you. Everybody gets a unique username. And in your family, you can set restrictions based on age. So age-appropriate restrictions for every single person in your family. Here's where I want them to go. Here's where I don't want them to go. Here here are the things I want them to be able to download, not be able to download. Here are the things I want them to ask permission for. Here are the things that they don't need permission for. You can can set age-appropriate restrictions for everybody. But but the most uh, amazing thing about this software, it's going to freak you out, but it's, it's, it's like having a pastor looking over your shoulder every time you turn on your cell phone and every time you log on to your computer, even though you're all alone in the room, it's like Pastor Chad is just watching you. Or your spouse is just literally looking over your shoulder. How many of you know you'd look at some different things if you knew your spouse was looking over your shoulder? So it's called screen accountability. And screen accountability, what that is, 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 listen, they're actually taking like three, four pictures of your screen every minute. And you don't know when it's taking a picture of your screen. And then it blurs the image so that anything sensitive isn't like being put in somebody's cloud, it's, it's, it's automatically blurred. So all your personal stuff, like you, you, it's not going somewhere dangerous, but, but it's, it's scanning every image for anything inappropriate. And when it finds something inappropriate, if it does, it sends that to your accountability partner as a blurred image. And it tells them where it was found, when it was found, how it was found, all the details of that image. And you'll have some explaining to do if you get too many images going on to that person that's, that's, that's your accountability partner. But, but I'm telling you, it's, it's like it, this This has to be one of the most powerful softwares on the planet with the sole purpose of protecting families, of protecting young eyes, old eyes. And I believe this is what it looks like on a practical level to be intentional, to be intentional in our personal relationship with the Lord and in raising children. When we give them freedoms they can't handle, like give you some more. You send your, your, your 14-year-old daughter out on a date with a boy who drives, and then you, you say to, to that 16 and 14-year-old, have fun, be home at 10. Do you know what have fun means to two hormone-raised teenagers? Anybody? Like, can we get better advice than have fun, be home at 10? Maybe don't go out on a date at all. You're too young. Come on, somebody. Like, I don't like that boy. I don't know him, but I don't like him. Why? Because he likes you. can't control the decisions but I can control as much as I can what I expose them to I can control what I give them so let's talk about what what can we give our kids of worth Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 9 verse 4 through 9 it says this hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one 
This is a Jewish prayer. I've been to Israel several times. I've been around Jewish people. If you've been around Jewish people, you'll hear this prayer prayed all the time. They say it all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. I, I've got to say this. Uh, um, when I first traveled to Israel, anybody, anybody in the military or been in the military, raise your hands real, real high. Come on, can we, can we thank the, the military folk in the house? All right. So, so I was in the military. I, I was activated after 9-11. Um, I learned what terrorists look like, and uh, I'm really good at profiling. Anybody, uh, I know I just offended half the, the church. I don't really care. Profiling is not, not, not popular, but when you've been military trained, you are really good at profiling some terrorists. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Military folk know what I'm talking about. So when I travel, according to my wife, it's, it's, I'm a joy to travel with because I always find the terrorist. And I used to always point the person out to her, but, but then she, she finally convinced me, you, you don't have to tell me when you found them. Like, cause I used to be like, baby, okay, three rows up, second guy from the end, that's a terrorist, okay? So every time he coughs, I'm watching. If he gets up to do something, I'm taking him out. Just, no, just so you know, I've got, I'm, I'm Jack Bauer right now. This plane's not going down. <laughs> so I'm always looking for the terrorist. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm traveling to Israel. I know two things about Israel. You're, you're going to the safest place on the planet, but you're also going to the place that the world hates. Like everybody in the world hates Israel. And so I'm on edge. So I'm in the terminal. I watch this young guy walk into the terminal. He's got a black bag in his hand. He goes to the corner of the room, sets down the bag. He's all by himself. Looks like he just put himself on timeout. He's just looking at the corner of the room. And he gets down and he starts to open the bag and he pulls out this thing from his bag. It's like black. It looks kind of like terrorist equipment. And he, and, he, and he puts it on his head and he ties it real tight. I'm like, this dude looks like he's from Mortal Kombat. My heart starts to beat. I'm sitting there watching. Then he pulls out some, some ropes. He, he's got like these black cords and he starts wrapping his arms with these cords. Like now the dude's literally strapped. And I'm like, oh, no, you're not about to take us out so I go and I grab somebody who's working there I'm like hey you see that guy you need some help because I have a feeling they go no, no no you don't have to worry about him why what's all this stuff why is he strapping his arms what's he got on his head is that a laser is it like a is it a bomb like what's what's going on they said no 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 uh, he he's doing Deuteronomy chapter six I was like what do you mean they said he he literally just bound to his forehead the word of God. Like there's a box on his forehead right now that's strapped to his head. Inside that box is the Bible. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. No, I've never seen this. Well, what, what about the rose? What's the deal with the cords? On those cords is the word of God. Like, like the word of God is written on those cords. He's binding the word to himself. I'm like, that's incredible. And he's doing that as a reminder that, listen, I serve the one true and living God, I depend on him. I live my life for him. I'm going to honor him. Like this was just a, a practical way that some Jewish people, I guess they, they just, they, they do this thing like for real. And so I didn't take him out. Anyways, I let him pray and do, do everything that he was planning to do. It says, write them on your door frames and on your gates. Let, let's unpack this just, just a little bit. What, what's one thing we can give our kids that, that will help them? Number one, the blessing of a family worth belonging to. We need to give our kids a family worth belonging to. 
I know you might be thinking, well, where did it say give them a family worth belonging to? I just read what you read, and I I didn't see that. Let let me take you back to verse 4. It says, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Notice who he's talking to. It's not a person, but an entire people. And so God is speaking to the people. He's speaking to the people of God, the, the nation of Israel, but we, we are the people of God. He's, he's not just, this isn't an individual call. It is a collective call. He's getting everybody's attention. And he's reminding his people, look, it's not just what, what I believe, it's what we believe. This isn't something just I do, it's what we do. This is who we are. This is what We do. I'm not serving God all by myself. I have a family worth belonging to. Now, in the Old Testament, how families, Jewish families function is different than how we're used to seeing families function today. In most parts of the world, especially our part of the world, it's not just back then like a mom, a dad, and three kids. There would be homes and like extensions of homes and collections of homes all joined together. And you'd have like mom and dad and their mom and dad and their mom and dad and, and all the kids that they've had, aunts and uncles and, and cousins and step cousins and, and all these extended family members. Sometimes you'd invite people to live in your home. They'd be, they'd be a part of your family. They weren't actually blood related, but we were spirit related. Come on, somebody. Like we serve one God. We've got one faith. We share this thing. And so welcome to the family. You're a part of the family. Might not be blood related to you, but we're related in Jesus' name. And so they would, they would live together. Sometimes you'd have 80, 90, 100 people living together in one home or a collection of, of homes. Next week, we're going to spend some time talking about the power of family, the need for family, why why small groups matter, why we're starting our small group semester next week. I I want to encourage you right now, if you're not in a small group, come on, go online and do a search on on, on our website. You can search all the groups, and and I, I want to encourage you to be a part of a small group. The men's group's full. We had 250 guys sign up day one when we announced it, the one that Coach Meyer and I are doing, but there are many other men's groups. There's women's groups, couples groups, family groups, youth groups, all sorts of groups that you can be a part of. I want to encourage you to be a part because one of the most important things that we can do for our children is to create intentional Christian community around them. It's to be intentional. It's to show me your friends and I'll show you your future reality over and over and over again. It's to let me see the five people who are closest to you in your life, and I'm going to give you a pretty quick, accurate read as to the trajectory of your life just by looking at your friends, just by looking at the people closest to you. Show me the five people you're closest to. I'm going to tell you the direction your life is going just by looking at them. A faith-filled, Christ-centered, biblically-anchored, spirit-empowered church community doesn't just happen by accident. You don't send yourself, your kids off to school and and hope they meet the right friends. You don't send your kids out of the house and and just be wishful, hoping that they're going to find the right people who will sharpen their faith and encourage them in their walk with Jesus. You get intentional about it. You purposefully create Christian environments for your kids, especially while they're young. Great news for you is in this church, we have an incredible kids program. Come on, somebody, incredible middle school, high school program. Come on, it's a great church for college students and everybody else. It's our job to create purposeful environments because we need each other. We need each other. 
And we were created for one another. And, and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll end up adopting one of the world's values. And I think it's one of the, the greatest goals. It's become one of the greatest goals in the world today is, is, is to be an individual, like, like to individualism, independence. If I can just raise some independent kids, if, if I can just be independent. And yet to be independent, I believe, is to be distinctly non-Christian. Because God didn't create you to be independent of anybody or of him. He created you to be dependent on him and to be dependent upon the family that he's so freely adopted you into. We need each other, church. We're better together. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll fall for the lie that, hey, we're all supposed to just, you know, be, be individualistic and, and be independent. And, and we'll, we'll begin to devalue relationship the way so many have devalued relationship where intimacy is being replaced by images on a screen and conversations with people by text messages sent through the air. And I don't even know how it works. But we're dependent on it. And then you look at what God's word says and, and how dependence is not just encouraged, but, but it's, it's demanded of believers. Love one another as I have loved you, so you should too love one another. Encourage and build up one another, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Romans 12, it says, be devoted to one another. 1 Peter 2, love the family. Ephesians 4, be patient, bear with one another, accept one another. Romans 15, be kind and compassionate and forgive one another. Pray for one another. James chapter 5, verse 16, so that you can find healing this side of heaven. Greet one another. You see, by God's design to get the most out of life is, is not going to happen by you just living for you and living with you. It happens when, when you becomes we. It's all about the family. It's about what we do, what we believe, the God we serve together. And I'm not saying we need to isolate our kids 100% from the world. I'm just saying be intentional. And, and here, here's how we've done it as a family. What, what we do, just my personal family, is, is we place high emphasis on the church my kids come to church right now because they want to, but even if they didn't want to, I'd be bringing them anyway. They don't know they don't have a, dis, a, dis, a choice, but they feel like they have a choice because they love it right now. And I pray they always love it, but even if they ever stop loving it, they're coming to church so long as they're living with us. We make sure church is a value for them. We have a one-sport rule in our family. You can play one sport at a time as long as that one sport doesn't take you out of church. Like, you're not going to miss youth group every month, and you're not going to not be in church for this. You can't play more than one sport because our life doesn't revolve around sports. It revolves around God. Amen. So just that's just how we do it. Now, we happen to send our kids to Christian school. I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative about public schools. I actually want to say something positive about public schools because we hear all sorts of negative stuff about public schools a lot. But I've never been in a public school where I didn't see some Christ-following believers who were praying for those kids. We think prayer got taken out of school in, like, what, 1960, whatever. Prayer never got taken out of school. Like, the government thought they took prayer out of school. Prayer never left the schools. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We got some praying teachers, some praying parents in every public school. We got some praying students in every public school. A lot of people in this church serve in public schools, work in public schools, and they're praying behind the scenes. Nobody knows it, but they're praying behind the scenes for those, those kids. What I'm saying is whatever school you choose to put your kids in, there are always people like you in every school. Be intentional. 
about building relationships with other believers within the school. Be intentional about helping your children form relationships with kids who are like them. Why? So that when they turn 12, like my daughter, my oldest daughter's 12, and somebody says, why are you the only one without an iPhone? She can look them in the eye and say, I'm not the only one. I've got a ton of friends like me whose parents don't let them have an iPhone either. And when they reach junior high and it's like, why are you the only one not drinking with us? I'm not the only one. It's not me. It's we. You want to be introduced to some of my friends? I'll bring you to church with me. You can see I'm not the only one. There's a lot of kids like me. When, 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 when we're intentional about building Christian community around our kids, we give them a strength that they're never going to have all by themselves. Some punk kid comes up to your daughter, starts pressuring her to do things she's too young to do. Oh, come on, everybody's doing it. No, not everybody's doing it. None of my friends are. Because we've all chosen to honor God with our our relationships and with our bodies. And stop telling me I'm the only one. You're lying to me. And if you're lying to me about this, you're going to lie to me about everything else. So just go be a a, a dumb kid and, and pick on somebody else. Did my best not to cuss in that. I'm pretty sure I did not. <laughs> Devil wants to isolate you. And he'll, he'll do his greatest work when you're isolated. But I'm telling you, when, he, when one, though one may be overpowered and two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. He knows their strength in numbers. He knows their strength in numbers. When you're pressured... And you realize because you've been intentional and your parents have been intentional, young people, about building Christian community around you and you're pressured and you start to feel pulled in a bunch of different directions, you know you're not alone. You've got a family fighting for you. You've got friends who are going to stand up for you. They've got your back. They're praying for you. They've made the same commitment you've made when we give them a family worth belonging to. Number two, when we give them a standard worth aspiring to. We don't need to lower the standard. We need to raise the standard. See, in verse 5, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all. No, 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 notice it doesn't say love the Lord your God when things go well. Love the Lord your God so long as you're not the only one and people aren't making fun of you. Love the Lord your God so long as life doesn't get tough for you. No, anybody can love the Lord their God when life is going as planned and the way you want it to. And, and, and when you, you feel like there, there are strength in numbers. But, but it's, it's, it's harder to love God when it feels like you're all by yourself and, and when things aren't going the way that you've planned. But it's possible. Raise the standard. Anyone, anyone can walk out half-hearted faith, but it's possible to be fully devoted wholeheartedly in to my relationship with Jesus. It's possible. Understand, kids, in the Old Testament, by the time they turned 12, they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. And it's like, what kind of a kid could memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time that kid turns 12? I'll tell you who. A kid that's been told you can A kid that's been told it's possible. A kid that's been given a standard worth aspiring to. When we we raise the standard on this generation, watch, 
and see them not just rise to meet it, but rise above it. To a kid who's been told all things are possible for those who are in Christ Jesus because we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than anything I could ever ask or imagine. I'm telling you, you raise the standard on that child and you watch and see the good things that God has placed within them that they, 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 they can't even see right now begin to spill out of them in Jesus' name. hundred years ago, there was no such thing as a teenager. There were no teenagers in the Bible. The word teenager was first used in Reader Digest in 1941. Before that, there were just men and boys, women and little girls. There was none of this in between before the word teenager was, was first introduced where you look like a man, but, but we're not going to expect you to act like one. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I reasoned like a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I stopped acting like a child and I started acting like a man. And I started taking the responsibility of my calling seriously. What we've done is, you go to the dictionary today, we've created a whole new term. It's worse than teenager. It's the word kidult. It's the word kid and adult together. It describes a 28-year-old man who still acts like he's 15 years old. You will never get more than you ask for. So let's start asking for more. See, I believe there's some... Teenagers, some 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kids who are saying, if, if somebody would just call the God things out of me, if somebody would, would just begin to speak to my potential, if somebody would just begin to prophesy about my future and not put me down for where I am today. If somebody would stop waiting for me to grow up and just help me grow up in Jesus' name, you'd be surprised to see what comes out of me when we raise the standard. Like instead of talking to our kids just about safe sex, here's how you keep yourself free from disease and try not to get somebody pregnant. Why, why not talk to them about what God says about sex? And why not just try not to get somebody pregnant or try not to get pregnant? How about we say, what if you fought hard, fought like hell to protect your purity, your eyes, your mind, your heart? Because it's not just who you touch and who you kiss and all this other stuff. It's what you see and what you listen to. What if we raised the standard? What if we said, hey, now, don't, don't just, do you want to come to church with me, but, but do you want to lead with me today? You wanna, why don't you start a small group in your school? How about you, you bring some kids together? You start a prayer group in your school. I know God's given you gifts. Why don't you begin to use them today? Instead of saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? What if we said, who do you want to be today? Who do you think God's calling you to be today? What gifts has he put inside of you that, that you feel like you've not begun to use yet, but, but you're ready to, and, and I, can, I can be a part of helping bring those gifts out of you? We have no idea what this generation is capable of until we begin to raise the standard. When we look at some young people and say, life doesn't start at 35. It starts right where you are. 
Start living your life for Jesus. Start, start living your life for the purpose that God has placed upon your life. You are anointed. You have been appointed by God and for God. You've been set apart. You are a chosen generation. God's hand's not just on your generation. His hand is on you. His spirit's inside of you. He's got strength for you. Come on. He's got purpose for you in Jesus' name. And call that out of our kids. What if we give them a faith worth following? A faith worth following. See, verse 7, it says this, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and, and when you get up. What's this implying? It's implying that you're with your kids. That you're investing in your family. That you're with them more than you're away from them. That's, that's what it's implying. When you sit down, when you lie down, when you walk around, along the road. When you get up, you see, God's not looking for perfect parents. He, he needs some present parents. Come on, somebody. Not looking for perfect parents. Don't beat yourself up if you've not been perfect. I'm not perfect. There are no perfect parents in this room. But you can be present. We need some present parents. Our children will learn how to pray by hearing us pray. They're going to learn the value of the word of God because they see us value the word of God. Can't follow you if, I, if you're not with me, if you're not close enough to follow. They're going to learn the value of serving others when, when they see us serve others. I, I was just in my car with my nine-year-old the other day, and there was a guy on the road, had a sign, and help me, I need money, and I didn't have any money, and I probably wouldn't have even looked for anything in the car if I was alone. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I, I know you, you, you're like, I can't believe my pastor just said that, but sometimes I won't give him anything. Sometimes I'll give him stuff. I wasn't planning to give him anything. The light turned green. There were cars behind me. I was the first one in line. My daughter said, Daddy, don't we have any money? No, we don't actually, baby. Do we have anything? And she opens up the, the middle of my car thing, and there, there were two bags of, of like tostadas or whatever, like some potato chips and, and some, some peanuts. And I hadn't opened any of them. She's like, Daddy, hurry. So I rolled down my window, and I grabbed the bags and handed them to that, that man. He said, Thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. Looked at my daughter. She's all happy because we just got to help somebody. I, I'm telling you, listen, I'm not a perfect parent. I probably wouldn't have looked for those potato chips if she wasn't with me. But when she asked me, I realized, hey, I've got a little girl who's watching me. And if she's going to see Jesus in anybody, she ought to see Jesus in her mom and me first. Amen. Never going to be perfect. Parents, we screw up more than anybody. Here's the good news. We can teach our kids repentance just by being repentant when we're wrong. You can teach your kids how to say I'm sorry just by saying I'm sorry when you screw up. Don't need to be perfect, but we need to be present. Whoever's most present in their life has the most influence in their life and will set the direction of their life more than anybody else in their life. Whoever's most present in your life has the most influence in your life will set the, set the direction of your life more than anybody else. Be present. Be intentional. Can't think of anything easier with more impact than, than just making sure your family is plugged into a local church. And if not this church, find one that you can engage in together 
you can be planted in together. If I, if I, if I pass down anything, I want to pass down a faith worth following, a faith that I've modeled, a faith that they've seen in me, a faith that's attractive. The good news is you're not doing it alone and neither am I. I've got you, you've got me. We're praying for each other. We're lifting up each other. We're serving each other's kids. They're not mine, they're not yours, they're ours. We all have a part to play. And I believe together we're gonna raise up a generation that loves Jesus. I believe we're gonna pass down a faith that outlives, outlasts us. I believe that this generation will not be lost in Jesus' name, but we are raising up together a Christ-centered, biblically anchored, spirit-filled generation of young people who are going to go out and change the world for Jesus. If you believe it, make some noise right now. Come on, if you believe it. And we will be the generation that King David talks about. How joyful are we? How joyful are we who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands? Why? Because our children will be successful everywhere. And we, with our eyes, will see a generation of godly people, an entire generation of godly people blessed in Jesus' name. They'll be wealthy. Their good deeds will live forever. They will outlast them. Why? Because they're generous, compassionate, and righteous. Because we are because we are and those who are righteous they are outlasters they will be long remembered in Jesus name every head bowed every eye closed let's let's pray together I've said a few things in this message today that maybe got some people's attention One thing I said today is I talked about first generation faith and second generation faith. And you might be here right now feeling like you've been living somebody else's faith. But it's time to make it your own faith. Your parents' relationship with Jesus won't get you into heaven. Your best friend's relationship with Jesus won't get you into heaven. Your spouse's relationship with Jesus won't get you into heaven. Your relationship with Jesus will. And his word tells us that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. I've said some things about heaven and maybe you, you, you've not, not thought much about that. Maybe you don't know if you're going to heaven. That can change right now with this one decision that you can make in Jesus' name. Why don't you pray with me right where you're at? Say, Jesus, here I am. I need you. I trust you as Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Of all the unrighteousness in my life, I trust you. I'm committing my life to you. I receive the gift of salvation now. I receive the gift of your Holy Spirit now. And I want my life to outlast me. In Jesus' name. Everybody said.